Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the light of Christ Jesus. And we pray as we come to your word that you speak to us, that we heed your call, that we follow Jesus step by step. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're in a series for those who are just joining us called The Ministry of Jesus. And the ministry of Jesus is so multi-layered, I hope you can see that by now. One of the things about his ministry, and a primary aspect, is it's about discipleship. So the last couple of weeks, we have been covering the, the call of disciples, of what it means to follow him, even when it's uncomfortable, and even when it seems unreasonable. Because ultimately, the call to be a disciple is one of faith. And another word for faith is trust. To trust Jesus in all circumstances. I mean, that's really the heart of it, isn't it? That's the crux of the matter. To trust him in all circumstances. Look, when the sailing is smooth, when the waters are calm, there's no problem saying, yes, I have faith in Jesus. But when the storms of life come, When there's illness, we've all been dealing with that this past year. When there's been death, when there are family strains so much it wants to tear the family apart, when there's economic strains, when those storms of life are just battering you, that's when we're called for faith as well, aren't we? To actually trust Him. You see, Jesus called real people in real circumstances. He doesn't call people in the abstract. He doesn't call people to live a life in the abstract or to live a life of faith in the abstract. He calls for real people in real circumstances to have real faith here and now. So today we're going to be talking what it means to have faith in all circumstances. We're going to learn from God's Word this morning. There are three things. To pray ahead of the storm, knowing that you will be sent into the storm. To be courageous in your faith, trusting the one who calls you. And to keep your eyes on Jesus, glorifying Him through it all. Look, if you just took one of these and learned from one of these and applied just one of these, you will grow stronger, deeper, bolder in your faith. So let me give you a little bit of context for uh, our account here in Matthew. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. But when they talk 5,000, that would have counted just the men. So now if you count the women and even the children, it balloons easily to 10,000, upwards to 15,000. And the people were so in awe of Jesus, they wanted to make him king. So he said, nope, don't want to be king here and now. That's not why I came. It was actually for faith, wasn't it? So he sends the disciples away. And then he goes up on a hill, on a place to pray. That's where we're going to pick up our text. 
Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we often find the actions that Jesus has done for other people, right? The feeding of the thousands, the healing, the preaching, the teaching, the restoring sight to the blind. We see all of that. But you also have to take into account that he often would go by himself to a place to pray. He prayed in lonely places too. He prayed up on the mountain by himself. And sometimes he would pray not only part of the night, but all night. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night in which he was betrayed. He prayed for his disciples. Read Gospel of John chapter 17. It's this whole long prayer. He not only prays for himself, but he prays for his disciples. Even on the cross, he prayed. And he is praying prayers of intercession. Jesus is continually praying prayers of intercession for us. Even on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is our intercessor. He is before the very throne of God, praying for us this moment. This moment. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So it's pretty safe to say while he was on the hill, on the mountain, praying, he was praying for his disciples for what they were about to face. You see, Jesus prays not only for us in the storm, he prays for us before the storm. You often call out to Jesus when you're in the storm, but did you know that he prays for you before the storm? So maybe we should learn from Jesus, and we should also learn how to pray before the storm, not just while we're in the storm. Because you will be sent into the storm. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will be sent into the storm. So let's continue on here. When evening came, they were, he was alone. Uh, when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So let's set the scene here. The, the scene is that they have been rowing for a long time. It says the fourth watch, this is anywhere between 3, and, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they could have been rowing anywhere from 6 to 10 hours, depending on when they actually left. So they were rowing a long, long time. And they were in, probably in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's what you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. It's surrounded by very tall hills. Some reach as high as 2,000 feet. 
and there's very cold, dry air that just rushes down those hills, and it all gets funneled right into the Sea of Galilee, where it hits this warm, moist, practically tropical air. So what you get are very strong winds that can whip up very quickly at a moment's notice. And because the Sea of Galilee is rather shallow in and of itself, these waves kick up really fast and high. If you are in a small or smallish type boat, being out in the middle of one of these squalls is a very dangerous place to be. That's the kind of storm they were already in. So put yourself in their place. If you were in that kind of storm, what would your thoughts be? I mean, you would probably be filled with fear. Even these experienced fishermen, they would have been filled with fear with what was going on. Okay, let's take this and make it a little more personal. I imagine that many of you have had storms in your life, right? I know, I've talked to you, <laughs> you, you know? You've shared some of those storms with me and some of the thoughts that go on. And normally when the winds of life whip up, we have thoughts that go through our head, don't we? And we sometimes get afraid, and sometimes our faith certainly wavers. We think, why am I going through this storm right now? Does not Jesus care for me anymore? Has he abandoned me? Has he left me? Why am I going through this storm? I'm, isn't he supposed to protect me from these things? So let's be fair and let's be honest, by the way. Some of these storms are our own making. If there's addiction, if there's lying, stealing, cheating, gossiping with malice, all of those things, just read Paul's letter to the Ephesians, covers quite a few of them. All of those things generally create storms of our own making. So we have to be honest with that. Some of those storms are us, are, are, are what we do. But the thing is, we are often sent into a storm, believe it or not. We are often sent into the storm. You see, think about it. Jesus sent the disciples ahead of him, right? Was he surprised that there would have been a storm? He wasn't surprised. He sent them knowing that there would be a storm. But that, that begs the question, doesn't it? Why would Jesus ever send any of us into a storm? That's the question. Why would Jesus ever send any of us into a storm? Then there's a couple of reasons for that. One is it could be for your very own salvation. Sometimes there are such storms in life that it makes people and what we would say hit rock bottom. And it is so bad that they call out, save me. And they can finally hear the voice of Christ Jesus. Now, for those who are saved, sometimes it's for your own sanctification, for strengthening of your faith. And this is what it was with the disciples, right? 
It was a strengthening of their faith that we go through storms, trials, tribulations to be strengthened. And we do that individually. But Jesus also sends churches into the storm as well. As a body, he will send a church into a storm. See, most people think churches, if I want to use this nautical analogy, most churches are, are like cruise ships, right? Oh, I joined a church. It's nice and comfortable. Sorry, Sean and Jill. <laughs> oh, <laughs> tough, tough message today, right? No, I jo- and for everybody, right? I joined a church. I'm comfortable. I can just sit back, relax, sip my little drink with a little umbrella on it, you know, and it's comfortable. But as we talked about last week, being a follower of Jesus is not about being comfortable. As a matter of fact, the better analogy, the better metaphor for a church is a battleship. A battleship actually goes into the fray. Why? Because, first of all, there are wounded people out there that need to be rescued, that need to be comforted by the Christ, by the love of Christ Jesus. There are people who are lost behind enemy lines. They too need to be rescued. And so we go in, into the storm, because that's where the work is. That's where the work is. The ministry to which you and I are called is not just on the cruise ship, but it's often in the battleship. And believe it or not, when you are engaged that way, you grow stronger in your faith. And we become this family, the church that Jesus said the gates of hell should not overcome. That's why he will send us into the storm. Even when we are afraid in the middle of the storm, he comes to us. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. See, Jesus' words cut through the storm. He doesn't give any explanation. He doesn't say, let me explain what's going on. He just says this, take heart, it is I. In a literal translation, it would say, take courage, I am. And that's the command. Take courage. It is a command, not a suggestion. And it is one that is found throughout Scripture. Psalm 31 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. I mean, we could go on. There are so many places where we are commanded to be of courageous faith. When the storms of life assail us, and especially when ministry, the call of being a follower of Jesus gets harder, we are to take courage because he is. He says in the literal translation, I am. There's that I am statement. I am. Not I will be, but I am. The self-existent God 
who was and is and is to come, who is timeless, I am. And because he is, right? Listen, because he is, we need not be afraid. That I am speaks to the power, the authority, the majesty of who he is. You see, when I look in the mirror, I don't see somebody of courageous faith. I just don't. And the more I look in the mirror, the worse it gets. Right? But so I have to look outward at the one who is. Because courageous faith does not come from how strong you are, but how strong he is. Paul was writing to his uh, protege, Timothy. And he says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then he goes on and says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Not what I believe, but whom I believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard it until that day what has been entrusted to me. Even Paul says, the courage didn't come from me. It comes from whom I believe. The one who has courageous faith believes in the one who can abolish death and give ever, everlasting life. How many of you know the song by Casting Crowns, The Voice of Truth? I would encourage you to all look that up and listen to it this very day. It is a beautiful song. And if we had streaming license for it, I would play it right now. But let me read to you some of the lyrics. But the waves are calling out my name, and they laugh at me, reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed. The waves, they keep on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of, voice of truth says, do not be afraid. The voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe. The voice of truth. In the midst of the storm, we listen to him and his voice that says, Take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. See, we need to trust the one who calls to you. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Notice what Peter didn't do. He didn't say, okay, Lord, First, stop this storm, and then I'll come out to you. He did not say stop the storm as proof of who you are. And he did not say, Jesus, tell me why this storm is happening. And when I understand it completely, I will come out to you. Right? All of the things that we normally say. But Jesus gave a one word command, come. He's often succinct in his commands, come, take heart, do not be afraid, follow me, come. So Peter, hearing the command, got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. 
So you see, Peter stepped out not because of his own courage, but because he trusted in the one who said, come. So Peter didn't find strength in him, right? Looking in the mirror. He looked to the one and he trusted Jesus at his word. And we covered that actually two weeks ago, where Jesus said, put your boat out in the water. And Peter, being tired, weary, said, we fished all night, but at your word, I will. You see, any courage that we have really comes from the one who calls you and the one who can do all things. That's what Paul was writing about in his letter to the Philippians. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Oh, but those waves, they keep laughing at you, right? And you might say, but I'm not good enough. He says, come. And you say, you know, I'm not sufficient. He says, come, I am. You might say, but I don't know enough. He says, well, come and learn. And you might say, but I might look foolish. And he says, they thought me a fool. Now come. And you might say, but it's going to be hard. And he says, yes, there will be storms. Come. So we fix our eyes upon Jesus, putting our faith in him who is the I am. And so Peter stepped out of the water, stepped on the water and began to walk. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? So I'd like you to think about this for a moment. Not looking for answers, but think about this. Why did Peter sink? It's an important point, right? We call, call these points of demarcation. Peter started to sink. One commentator said this, in that moment of fright, Peter's faith gave away, gave way. He looked at the terrifying wind and forgot Jesus, who was only a few paces away. And then he began to sink. When he felt himself sinking, he was afraid that the wind and the waves stirred up by the, by the wind, but that the wind and the waves stirred up by it would engulf him. But this very fear that was due to what his eyes saw and his heart forgot made him instantly remember and turn to Jesus with a cry, save me. You see, this is the relationship between fear and faith. We fear what our eyes see and forget what our faith knows. true, isn't it? We fear what our eyes see and forget what our faith knows. When we're in the midst of the struggle and the storms, we start to look at the circumstances and forget to look at towards Jesus, and we start to sink. You know, Peter didn't know why the storm was there. He just knew that it was. But he did one thing that we should always, always do in the midst of it. Cry out to Jesus. 
and he cried out, save me. That's the cry we can have in the midst of the storms. In the midst of doubt and fear, it is one who says, save me. And maybe that's all we have. That's all we can pray is save me. It is a cry of faith in the midst of circumstances. It's the cry similar to the father who had an epileptic son who said, I believe, help me in my unbelief. And this is the cry that we should have in the midst when we are sinking, Jesus, save me. And then we should also hear how Jesus responds to Peter. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And really, we need to hear this. Why did you doubt me? That's what Jesus is implying here. Why did you doubt Jesus? Do you not know who I am, Peter? Do you not understand yet who I am? Learn to trust me no matter the circumstances. See, John, the, the Apostle John also wrote about this in 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So in our times of difficulty, we are being perfected by his love, looking to him through it all. And when we look to him through it all, we can glorify him, right? Verse 32, and when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, the miracle of feeding the 5,000 or 10 or 15,000 wasn't to make him king. It was to understand who he is and to glorify Christ Jesus. In the midst of storm, especially in the middle of the night, when the waves are pounding you greatly, ultimately it is for his glory to glorify him. In the midst of one of my darkest storms, after I had back surgery, and I wish I hadn't. For many people, it's wonderful. I wish I hadn't. It was one of the darkest times of my life. And the only prayer I could really croak out was, let this be for your glory. That's all I had. That's what he asks. Let this be for your glory. You see, when we put our faith, our trust in Jesus, when we fix our eyes upon him, even in the midst of tumult, we can say with full confidence, truly you are the Son of God. From our reading of Hebrews, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those, listen to this, listen up. If you've fallen asleep, time to wake up. 
I know. I can see the lights aren't that bright. No. But we, listen, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and persevere their souls. But we are not of those who shrink back. We are those of faith. The life we live is not in the abstract. The faith that we have is not in the abstract. Our life is real. It has many ups and downs. And sometimes our faith has many ups and downs. And this is why each week, to get in your bones, we say this at the beginning. We say, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Amen. No matter what, right? And we can easily say, Jesus is good all the time, and all the time, Jesus is good. No matter the difficulties, no matter the storms. We put our faith in him who is. So there are three things we covered today. Any one of these three things will help you grow deeper in your faith, confident in your faith, bolder in your faith, if you but apply them. And the first one is to pray ahead of the storm, knowing that you will be sent into the storm. To be courageous in your faith, trusting the one who calls you, and keeping your eye on Jesus, glorifying him through it all. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.